0: Here we go, Monday night. Ira on sports. True Oldies channel. Uh, Mike Balsamo. And one of these uh, unfortunate situations where the show is not live, Ira, but we've got plenty of good reason for that. You've uh, got plans tonight. Yeah,
1: we're just going to tape it right now, a couple hours before the game. Then I'm going to drive down to Miami because you, anyone knows driving on 95 is, you know, it's just difficult. A disaster to, at a certain if you, time. If you drive during rush hour, it's like it takes it takes a one hour drive into like two and a half hours.
0: So. It's 60 miles, and it could take you four <laughs> hours to get down there if, if you don't leave at the right time. Um, you had a really busy week coming into this Ira. I know you you might have even been stressed yourself like how do I get all this into the amount of hours I have in a day? And I
1: didn't get everything I wanted to get into because I was trying to get another uh Formula 1 race in terms of the qualifying, but I saw the Formula 1 on Sunday and I saw the Nick game the two the Nick game in New York uh, and the, uh, and then Tuesday and then the Nick game on Saturday in Miami.
0: Didn't have time to get a Panthers game in yet. I,
1: the only way to done it was if, <laughs> if the Formula 1, if the Formula One ended, but it was too hard after that it's over. You can't just run to get the hockey started 6 30, you can't stay to the end of the race, which you, of course, I want to stay to, and then make the hockey game now, I've thought about it, but it did not work.
0: Fantastic pictures all over social media. You know where to find Ira, at Ira on Sports. I remember we have a uh, a legend of of media mo- a mogul of industry and the NBA coming on uh, tonight around seven thirty. It's Sonny Vaccaro, and I think everyone should know who that is with what's going on with uh, with the with the movies. Yeah, right
1: just now. see the movie Air, you'll learn everything about it's Sonny Vaccaro. But he was in the shoe business, in the basketball business, everything about the whole camps, AAU. I put him on the about Rushmore in terms of the one of the most. Innovative, the dynamic the pushed basketball where it is, tremendous, uh, full of energy. I, I, you know, he's certainly an older person now, and just has more energy than most twenty and thirty year olds
0: have. Yeah, he does. I am so. It's just, it's great to have him on the show. Yeah, and this is an interview that we did in the we did about a week ago, and. It was fantastic. We ended up going way too long with him, so we're going to break it down into two parts. Explain what we'll hear tonight and then what we'll hear next we're week. We're
1: going to talk about his background and doing the Dapper Dan tournaments and the his starting of the AU and the camps and those things, and then actually going to Nike and pitching and how he got involved working with Nike in the first place. And then we're also going to have then talk about how he the whole movie about air, about signing Jordan, about how he convinced them to go and sign Jordan, how he convinced Jordan to come and decide to go be a, you know the whole Jordan brand and everything that happened with Jordan. And then next week, we'll finish up that a little bit and then we'll talk about he was involved with Kobe and LeBron, so it's just pretty amazing.
0: So Ira, you know, maybe two and a half weeks ago, people are looking around the landscape and nobody gave the South Florida teams any credit. People thought that the Florida Panthers were going to get run out of, of NHL arenas by Boston. People didn't think that, Milwa- uh, that Miami had any chance against Milwaukee. And here we are. South Florida sports are having a, an amazing run, and you're going to be a part of it a little bit later today. Yeah, I mean, this is just
1: cr- the thing where both the Panthers, both the eighth seeds to come in, and beat the one seeds, uh, and a point where people thought, boy, we're going to be done with sports in South Florida like two weeks ago almost. And now people are saying
0: championship runs for both.
1: I mean, the Panthers are up 3 0 on Toronto. and the Heat are up two one in Miami, playing at home tonight. So, and it's just they're almost doing this. It's the surprise, but it's it's all, you would almost like to say they're doing it the same way. They're just out working, out playing. They're, everyone's not giving enough credit, but they're figuring out ways to win. Great coaching and all those things. And timely, timely playing. And that's really what happens.
0: All of my hockey fan friends are saying if the Panthers don't make it to the Stanley Cup, it'd just be the worst collapse ever. <laughs> that that's how much better they are, are playing better than the teams around them. So, Ira, let's start off uh, with the NBA, and this is going to be in New. York. York and I remember we were talking right after this game. You were mad at the Heat's, uh, uh or you are mad at the Knicks' approach towards the Heat here. But the Heat got a, a nice win in Game One.
1: Yeah, and Game One was the crazy game because this is the one where they really the Knicks, you know, the, the, the Butler gets injured in the middle of the game with the few five minutes to go in the game, and they don't go run at him. He's standing just walking up the court, and it's almost like they threw away that game. And, and this is a team that's you know beat Cleveland. Everything I'm like, wow. I mean, they just threw that game away. And then I was there for game two in the garden. And that was so that was the. And was, this uh, is,
0: you must have been, you know, over the course, you know, you've had a residence in New York for years. You must have been to the garden dozens of times. Hadn't been there in a little while. and Maybe you, you they, they missed you. No, <laughs> well, I haven't street. been there
1: since the pandemic, really. And it was surprising to walk in there. And the differences between the garden and Caseya uh, Center or whatever, Miami Airlines Arena or Air American Airlines Arena, Miami Arena, however you want to say it, is amazing. The garden is dark. I mean, my pictures don't even come out that great it's just so dark it seems like you just walk right down it's like in a cave and they have the organ music and the ceiling is low when you go to the miami area the game was on saturday it's bright and sunny like the two sides of the stadium are all glass the sun is coming in through the portals and you feel like you're almost outside watching a game so that's like it's that atmosphere now at the heat games there's tons of nick fans at the nick game at (laughs) mascarada there is i couldn't find one heat fan not one not one single heat fan did i find it was great you know because you see when the Knicks do something in the game, except that it was the funniest thing that I noticed in the Heat game is that when Randall, everyone was booing Randall. It's like the Knicks fans were booing Randall, and also the Heat fans <laughs> were booing Randall. So
0: he was getting booed <laughs> by everybody. <in> that <laughs> game. So, well, talk about the game itself. Well, and, I just,
1: was... and also it was pretty neat the fact that there, you know, I sat court like twenty four hours, because you see the celebrity row. I mean, it is like there's Spike Lee, there's Chris Rock. They go through the whole game, all the celebrities. They can't even by the end. It's almost like a fireworks show. They they can't go through enough of the timeouts, so and they give list every single person. It's like and then the fire. <laughs> one was Aaron Rodgers. So really? that just shows you how big it, he was with Sauce Gardner and that was like the big thing was Aaron Rodgers was at the game.
0: That's yeah. kind of cool. I mean, at least he's going hanging out with the younger guys even if they're on the defensive side of the ball. Yes. So yes. let's uh, talk about this one because this was you know, we're looking at this game and if the Heat win this one, it's going to be an implosion on the Knicks part, but uh, you know they, they end up scrapping one back at home.
1: Well, what happened without Jimmy Butler. So that you go into the arena and you're like, is Butler going to play? Is Jalen Brunson going to play? Is Julius Randall going to play for the Knicks? Those two. So everybody was, there's a question mark for everybody. Butler decided, is not playing. He's wearing that nice brown suit that he had on. And uh, both uh, 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 Randall and Brunson did play for the Knicks. And the shocking thing about this game was that it, they just played poorly. Like, the Heat were in the game. They were leading the game I mean it was one of the, it was the craziest thing in terms of the Heat out rebounded the, the the Knicks out rebounded the Heat 50-34 to 34. Randall ended up with 25 points 12 rebounds 8 assists Brunson had 30 points Hart had 14 and Baird but the Heat just played with Hart they were up there at halftime they were up by 3 and then uh, Spolster it seemed like he was doing things with mirrors I mean, it's, it's Cody Zeller in the game uh, just playing great and then finally Brunson made a 3-pointer became and there was, the issue was that really at the end of the game uh, Josh Hart made a bunch of threes that helped because he dropped by six with seven minutes to go in the game and like they could pull this out like mm. you almost thought this was going to be one of the biggest upsets they were like 11 or 12 point underdogs in the game then Brunson made a three which became a four point play and then uh, then at 99-96 the, the Knicks had a shot they the Heat shot the ball it should the shot clock should have been reset it wasn't gives the Knicks the ball Hart comes down makes two threes Brunson makes a three and gave over but it was like you thought like wow it took the final moments for the Knicks to win this
0: game Game without Butler, if Butler can come back, what's going to happen? And that's you know what happened was Game Three happened when they the Knicks just didn't look like the team that we saw leading into this. Well, clearly
1: this is what I mean. I had been saying you know that I thought Cavaliers were going to beat them. I just could not see this Nick fit. But oh, you're then, a Nick hater. I, I'm a Nick hater, but I'm also a believer that the, the, the Knicks. I just I'm not sold on Brunson, not sold on Randall, not sold on every Mitchell Robinson. And they were terrible and they played exactly how I thought they'd be playing and Brunson I have to say is look Brunson is injured his ankle is, is bothering him So but but Gabe Vincent is the perfect guard like sometimes the heat are unable to play some I mean, of these teams like You put Lowry and Bru- and Vincent in two smaller guards. They get over their are oversized But look they play great And if the Knicks play stupid when Randall gets the ball and Lowry or Vincent on him and he's dribble 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 Like instead of going right to the hole you have seven eight inches on someone just turn to the basket and go or catch it in a better position He does uh, Robinson, their center, is a disaster out there. Making mistakes, missing shots. Just, I mean, in game three, ended up, I think he played 12 minutes and scored five points. But uh, yeah, the one thing about the Heat, I just want to get back to them a little bit, is they started on game two, uh, 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 Kevin Love, uh, Calum Martin, uh, Viscay Vincent, and Max Struis. All of those are earning, like, besides Martin, there's like 7000000 million. They're all earning like $3, 2000000 with Love's contract being so yeah uh, Bam is the only big contract. I can never believe see a team in the NBA that's this far in the play- playoffs with, a, with like four of their starters making a combined like $12 million. It's, it's I mean, with a hundred some million dollars salary cap, just the way that, that Riley and Spolster work at using uh, Struce and Martin shooting threes, Vincent Lowry. And we're going to talk about coaching throughout the playoffs. Spolstra comes in with a great game plan in these games. I think he's a brilliant, but his ability to adapt during the games, the end of game situations, where you criticize him in terms of Boston how they play in the end of the game and these other coaches, he has he does he is like the perfect coach because he comes in with a great game plan. When the game plan doesn't work, then he makes adjustments throughout the game. That's why they win the third quarters all the time.
0: You know, uh, Spolstra, a Hall of Fame coach. You know, even if he didn't get some of these great players uh, in his prime, and I know a lot of people didn't like to give him credit, but here we go. Uh, what do we want to talk about with this one?
1: Well, really, it's just that the Knicks couldn't shoot. I mean. They they were, it was one of the, they, uh, Butler came back. He didn't play great, but the Heat, they shot 39% from the field, 22% from threes, and they still had a blowout. 86 points was the second lowest scoring output the Knicks had all season. Um, how about the Did both teams combined for 15 for 72 on three pointers? Eight and it was just unbelievable. And the Knicks were um, uh, eight for 40, which is just unbelievable. And it was uh, the 1,290th game played in the NBA this season. Only eight other had a worse. Worse combined three point shooting percentage <laughs> than the 20% here. The Heat went up 29 21 after one. They kept it almost like they a 10 point lead the whole time, 14 points at half. Randall had only four points and four boards, was a complete disaster. The Knicks were 0 for 9 from three. Third quarter, Butler twists his ankle. She's already nervous. He's like limping around, but he is tough. He stays in the game. the quarter, actually came back in the fourth quarter. And uh, Randall for the game ended four for 15, 10 points. Mitchell Robinson said 14 points, two, 14 minutes, two points. Brunson was seven for 20 shooting. And Josh Hart was five for 12. And R.J. Barrett, five for 15. And this is what the difficulty with the Knicks are. If they cannot get scoring. Now, quickly, is out this game. They just are not scoring. They cannot get consistent scoring. And they don't play smart. They do not put their players in position to score. And uh, Butler, who's averaging, uh, you know, he's averaging 36 minutes, 28 points, four boards, three assists. And uh, Vincent played poor this game. You know, in terms of shooting, only one for eight. But being able to shut down Brunson, I mean, it just, that was what really, the, the Knicks cannot get in their offense. The Heat defense is great, and he can score enough points. Now, when you watch Denver and Phoenix and how they score, you're like, how in the Knicks, Heat going to compete with that? But they really don't, right now, not worry about that. They're worrying about a team that they're playing because just having trouble scoring, and the, and the Heat are scoring enough to, to take the lead. I, I like them to win tonight, and I like them to go back to New York and win and make this series over Wednesday night.
0: Ira on SportsTruel, the channel, Mike Balsamo. Sonny Vicaro Sonny joins us right about 7.30. Great interview with him. I, I, I don't think most people, me and you included, gave Philly really a shot here versus Boston. I don't know if it's Boston just not being able to close out games or Philly just... Playing great sometimes when they need to, but this series is tied to All it,
1: it, it's the craziest series. Game one, uh, the Sixers come in; they do not have Embiid. Harden scores forty-five points. They steal the game. They don't. They don't double. I, I cannot understand the Celtics at the end of these games. They are terrible. I mean, they are awful. And 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 we saw a little bit in the Heat series last year, and in the finals where they played with Golden against Golden State. I mean, Boston when they are blowing teams out, which they did in Game Two and Game Three. They won Game Two by twenty-four by thirty thirty-four points, and they won game three by 12, but it wasn't even close. Harden was terrible in game two. He was two for 14, and then in game three, he was 3-14. So it was five for 28 in two games. So you're like, one, they steal. Two and three, they lose. They're in Philly for game four. And you're thinking, like, I was at the race, so I'm following it, and i thought like, this game's going to be over. But what happens? Again, Boston, stupid mistakes at the end of the game. They get, you know, Jason Tatum drives down, and he throws, <laughs> instead of going for the last second shot, he throws to Smart. Once Smart's miss it, they get to overtime with a chance to win. Now, they're down one in overtime. I like the idea that if you have an experienced team like they do and they're down one not to call a timeout, you would think that... Any other team like this, Jordan Pippin, Michael Jordan with the ball, don't call a timeout. Don't let them set up a defense. Michael Jordan knows what he's doing, Pippin is doing. But the Celtics might be the only team where I think you gotta call a timeout. And Mozilla, their coach, their coach is getting a lot of criticism because he had two timeouts. They were down one with 16 seconds and they held for a last second shot, which they didn't even get off. If you read the, read the play by play, they didn't even get the shot out. Tatum threw it to Smart. Smart just missed the shot. But the point is Tatum now twice at the end of the regular right? The game in the overtime was driving and did not, you know, pass to Smart. Smart's gonna take those shots, and I. Just, think that, look, they don't involve Jalen Brown at the end of the game, when I think maybe he should be the one with the ball, because I think he's going to score, the, I think he's a better end-of-the-game player than Tatum, so I think this is, but this is such a weird series, where they had the two blowouts that they had, and then the other point to mention was Tatum, on game two, scored seven points, one for seven, now he missed, it was such a blowout, they didn't even use him in the second half, but The Boston's a better team. Two blowouts, but then the two close games, they lose if they can't... First of all, they should just blow... They're a better team than the Sixers, and I don't know. James Harden is crazy, and they made me look like an idiot the first time when he (laughs) scores 45 points, then he comes back and shoots five for 28, and then he goes back last night and scores uh, 40-some points. So, I mean, it's just... Unbelievable! It's a, it's the series is almost you put I think you should put James Harden and Anthony Davis on the same team. And if they both play great on the same game, you're going to win by 100 points because <laughs> they are just so inconsistent. Because we'll say, is there any player like Davis? They go, yeah, Harden, because he has two 40 point games and two nothing point games.
0: Let's uh, move on to the West here. And we'll talk about Anthony Davis in this series. I I've, Personally, I didn't think the Lakers really had a shot against the Warriors. I know the Warriors have their struggles on the road, but for the Lakers to be leading two to one right now is very improbable to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was game. i watched on Wednesday night, watching the uh, the uh, the Heat game. I mean, sorry, the Nick game. And then the, I was then I, it was like hard to go watch the Golden State game because they're, they're, the series are lined up against each other. But you know, between 2015, and 2018, they fit. They faced off four finals together. LeBron and Curry, in terms of not Lakers, but LeBron and Curry. And Curry is 15 and eight against LeBron. But in, in game one in Golden State, just it, Anthony Davis dominated. Thirty points, twenty-three rebounds, five assists, four blocks, and LeBron. People say, "Well, this is unbelievable." LeBron does what LeBron needs to do. I, st- I mean. I just, I'm, I've seen LeBron win so many games, so I just know he plays smart. He's the smartest player out there. He was 9-for-24, 1-for-8 from three, but he had assists and rebounds and just knew, just played smart. And they're going six deep. I mean, they really cut their bench, but Reeves is playing well. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is inconsistent, but hopefully consistent enough to win. They have Schroeder off the bench, and Rui Hachimura comes in, and also Vanderbilt. But uh, the Lakers, again, they, they they won this game shooting 6-for-25 from three, uh, they, and And then the Warriors, I mean, Curry at 27, Clay at 25, Uh, but uh, it was just, they had, you know, the lead in terms of the Lakers. Curry, the Lakers seemed to have control of the game. Curry tied it, make it 112-112, but Russell made a layup, AD blocked Curry's shot, and then the the problem was that Poole, at the end of the game, here, we have Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. What did the Lakers do? They say, don't have Curry beat us. We're not going to have Curry or Clay. They let Poole, and Poole miss two shots. So they they played smart defense in terms of what what the Celtics should do, is force someone other than Harden to shoot the shot. Shot at the end, when Harden is hot and shooting 40 points, don't let him take the last shot. In this game, they let you know they forced Poole to take it, and he missed it, and that's why they end up losing at game one. And now game two was a crazy. You, you expect the Warriors to come back, totally dominated, and this is where AD disappeared. 11.7 points, seven rebounds. So he goes from 30 into 20 to 11 and seven. The Lakers actually had a had a first quarter lead, but then it was just complete domination from the Warriors. Uh, and and all Curry was doing was they were doubling him totally, much he was getting 12. Of they only shot the ball 12 times, but they they scored outscored them 41-23 in the second quarter. And then in the third quarter, they took a 30-point lead. But, you know, the, that blowout actually in many ways helped the Lakers because it allowed LeBron and Davis to rest. Yeah. Like, they want a rest. <laughs> I almost think, if this is a crazy idea, the Warriors, sometimes what I don't like about Poole does, and sometimes Curry with his fast shots and clay, is you almost want to make the, War, the Lakers go for 24 seconds. Make them run. Make LeBron cover someone and run around. And that's because the Warriors' offense is motion offense. They don't just stand around. So tire them out. But when they shoot fast, they are not tiring them out at all. And then that that led to game three. And before the game, uh, LeBron's son committed to USC. So Mm -hmm. that's more of a thinking that, you know, LeBron's going to stay in in L.A. for a couple more years to watch his son and be there with his son. LeBron, this game was crazy. LeBron, they won by 30. But LeBron didn't take a shot in the first quarter for the first time in 275 playoff games. D'Angelo Russell was making threes to start the game. But LeBron just has this sense of what this game needs. I thought he played smart, played great, and of course, he lets he made the Warriors self-destruct. I mean, it's 40-37, still a close game, and Moody for the Warriors is on the ground, and he grabs Anthony Davis, tries to trip him. That's a technical foul, a flagrant foul, and then Draymond Green's arguing with the refs on his charges, which I think were questionable cards. He's getting, you know, they, it seemed like they gave the Lakers like six free throws for nothing. It's just like the Lakers were just shooting, 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 almost like a power play that just kept playing, and then in the game's out. They got a game out of, out of reach. And it's like, if the Warriors want to win, they cannot, they, they, I know they have all this experience. They can't play stupid. They can't commit all these flagrant fouls. And Draymond Green has got to settle down. They have to play smart. And this, these technicals and the flagrants and all this stuff, it did help. I mean, they had 16 turnovers and it was a total blowout. I mean, this is weird. You had back-to-back almost 30-point games. You're waiting for this great epic series and you really haven't got yet. The first game was good. After that, it really hasn't been that great.
0: Ira on Sports, True channel. a Mike Balsamo. Uh, follow Ira anywhere on social media at Ira on Sports talking about epic series i think we're getting it with with the nuggets and the suns and ira you are kind of all in on on the booker bandwagon that this guy might this might be one of the greatest playoff performances you've ever seen and you've seen a lot
1: I mean, he was 20 for 25 in Game 3, and then he was 14 for 18 in Game in Game 4. I mean, it, it's unheard of, these sports. He doesn't miss, 39 points and 36 points with eight assists one game, 12 another. And Durant has 36 points one game, and Durant has 39 points the other game. I mean, I have never seen, besides LeBron and Kyrie in the playoffs had some of these big games, but Durant and Curry never had huge games like this. And then you put on the top of that, Jokic is averaging 31 points, 30 boards, and nine assists. I mean, last night, Jokic had 50 points and lost <laughs> and had an amazing game. And Jamal Murray for them has played great. He had tw- he's averaging 27 points. So you have Jokic averaging 31. Murray averaged 27 for Denver. Booker in 37 and 30. Booker for 37. Durant for 30. And it's one of these things you said, well, you know, the, the after Chris Paul went down and is injured, you're like, there's no way the, the Suns are going to be able to win this series with just two players. They're getting no support from the bench or anything. And they figured it out. When your two players play at this high level, they get do it and last night the key was land they finally got landry shaman off the bench he had five three pointers 19 points in the fourth quarter and that was crucial but they have been doubling i want to tell you something about booker they're doubling him they're tripling him they're doubling durant and they're still scoring and winning and it's just one of these games people say oh there's no defense they're trying to play defense the key to the series i really think first of all jamal murray has got to be that second wheel like he, he's these both these games he started a little slow then gets better but I mean now Denver in both these games has been in both these games 121, 114 in game 3 129, 124 in game 4 but they need Aaron Gordon Aaron Gordon people thought should have been in the all-star game team. he was awful he didn't want to shoot yesterday absolutely played terrible I mean Phoenix has made adjustments I give Monty Williams credit Aiton a- 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 their star center he's been benching him he brings a guy named Landau who I've never seen Landau <laughs> play and <in> I keep <laughs> fantasy he had 8 points he's actually played. Playing better on Djokovic than Aiton has played, but it's like making those moves. But I think the key is that Gordon and Porter Jr. are the two. Of the other stars they have got to step up. Now they play good in the games one and two, and they play great all season. And Denver is the best home record in the NBA. But it's really going to be when you watch this game, it's Aaron Gordon going to just take over because I really there's, the Suns don't have these other players. They don't have someone as good as Porter. They don't have someone as good as Gordon. Those players have to step up and play well. Um, I like the Suns to uh, the Nuggets to win this series, but this is just. awesome awesome to watch. I mean, the scoring and how Booker is shooting is just, I mean, they're comparing him to Jordan and and Kareem and just these levels shooting 60%, averaging 30-some points. But Durant's playing just as well. It's just between both of them they are playing great.
0: Anything else you want to talk about here in the NBA before we move on?
1: Yes, we want to talk about the exciting thing about the game was that in the middle of the second in the second quarter, Jokic went, the ball went out of bounds, Jokic went and reached for the ball, and Matashiba, who's the owner of the Suns, gets the ball. is holding the ball, so he, the play is in motion. It's the Denver ball. Usually you you know take the ball, and you're in the NBA, you're allowed to take the ball and just you know go and run it. Don't wait. You know let's get the play started. Let's run a fast break. Denver was trying to push push it up a little bit. Well, Ashiba takes the ball. And is holding it. Like now he played at Michigan State, so he knows how to hold the basketball, and and he was a walk on there, but he's holding the ball, and I'm like it's his ball. We paid four billion dollars for the team but Jokic's reaching for the ball Yeshiva then he reaches for the ball the ball someone gets knocked out and it looks like Jokic pushed Yashiba down and then another person fan went and touched Joker, Joker, Joker so they actually they threw that fan out Joker got a Joker got a, a technical foul which is absolutely ridiculous because Yashiba is an owner like he's not again it's, it's if it's like if it's a statistician or if it's an assistant coach like you cannot interfere you can't trip a player I, I felt Yashiba of anyone they're talking about they should find Jokic. You know he should be uh, Jokic should get suspended for the next game, which is get ludicrous. Out of it's yeah. absolutely the most ludicrous thing. I think Ishiba should be suspended because he's holding the ball. He should have gained the ball as an owner. And no one's bringing this up. But one of the uh, Warriors minority owners, uh, not Laker, who was the was the main owner. In the game in one of the the, fi- the playoffs a couple years ago, he actually the, the player went in the stands was pushing and shoving and holding, and that the owner was actually you know was banned from the you know had to force his seller's interest because he was so involved in the game in terms of, of that. So I really think that Yeshiva, I think if anyone could should be suspended a game and said, look, you can't, you're can't. you sitting there on the sidelines. I, you never saw Mark Cuban do that. You never saw Red Auerbach do that. You haven't seen other people do that. I thought it was just a terrible performance on Yeshiva's part in terms of he'd just been owning the team for two months and everyone's making a big deal about it. But hey, look, don't hold the ball. The ball goes in there, give the ball. I mean, I saw in the Heat game in Miami, a, a fan was was slow turning the ball back and I thought he almost was gonna get ejected from the game for that. Ball was in the stands, like it's still action. Go getting the ball back. Like, you know, I just again it was I just think that Joker's getting a lot of criticism when it really Yeshiva should be the one getting the criticism.
0: Ira on sports drool these channel I'm Mike Balsamo. About seven minutes or so Sonny Vicara will join us. Got a great interview online with him. Follow Ira on uh, on social media anywhere at Ira on Sports. So little anticlimactic when we've been talking about Forte winning the Kentucky Derby for six months now. And he gets scratched, you know, right before the race, you know, a day before the race. Actually the morning of the race. The, the morning of it. the race, uh, you know, hours before the race. And this was disappointing. You know, you, you wanted to see him run. The Gary Stevens, who we had on, you know, Hall of Fame jockey, he said he liked Mage. I heard professional handicappers say, Mage is good, but he just hasn't run enough yet for anyone to take, like, this horse will have a good career, but I don't know if today's the day. Man, this horse might end up being special. Mage, fifteen to one, wins the Derby.
1: Well, I, I, you know, and I, I couldn't make get the bet in because I'm at the Heat game, and I wasn't out. Was that? I was at I in, He
0: was wanted to bet Mage. I, I
1: wanted to bet Mage because the practical move, the winner of the Sierra didn't need a Derby was scratched early in the week. Then Forte, the owner of the winner of the Florida Derby, was scratched. But in the Florida Derby, people remember Mage started out of the gate, tripped and fell, ran around, like couldn't even get into like whatever. Tri- was was like in the last was like, behind the race, and then ended up finishing second, like second to Forte. So I'm like myself, Forte's. The, the favorite and now Forte's out Mage ran this great race now Mage is like fourth race that Mage has run but that's what I liked in terms of the other uh, horses so I felt Mage was going to be good I might have bet exactly because we usually have Brittany Urchin on the show we didn't have her on this week but I know that she picked two fills the Jeff Ruby Stakes winner and that finished second so it would have been Mage and, and that would have been a, a great my Angel Empire the Arkansas Derby winner finished third and the UA the horse that won the UAE Derma Sataki finished sixth and the favorite but the favorite went out at five to one Tapa Trice the Bluegrass winner finished seventh So, but it really, the fact that Mage could come through from the back did the same thing, you know, again, you watch the race and, and you saw him struggle. I think he likes struggling in the beginning of the race. It's like, let all the horses run out. I'll take it easy and I'll just come on. It wasn't this, it was like that type of thing where he just made, just waited the other horses, sat in the back and just made the run. And that's sort of how his running style, he doesn't like to get out of the gate. And I was wondering the jockey said, we or the trainer was like, we changed things up. We made it easier for him to come out of the gate. We did all this. It didn't work. He's still stripping out of the gate. You know, God forbid he gets a great, you know, start out of the gate. You know, what would happen? Maybe he's better just start for the back of the back
0: so let's move on to uh, formula one you only have to take one day and you want to do quite a few you know it's funny you bring up like you know going to the knicks game there's like all the celebrities that's like the, the row of millionaires but formula one this brings up the billionaires doesn't it ira this is some impressive stuff well
1: i mean you see jeff bezos out there and then I, elon musk was there and then you have patrick Mahomes, and you have serena venus federer and it just goes on and on and on i mean it's crazy and i'm sitting in this amazing seat first row at the start finish line and it's like the cheapo seats because across from me is the paddock which is all these people like how can the all these thousands of people which is like i think it was like ninety thousand, were at the and remember they don't use the stadium they're not running through the stadium it's all on the outside of the stadium but like they have this beach area that i saw when i walked out like there was thousands of people there's a beach party there's a marina section that's a party so this is it takes all if anyone goes to the Rock stadium Every parking lot they have is used, so there's no parking at all because they're all used for the race. And there's some interior parking, whatever. That's why you park at people's houses and, and around there to, to, in order to find parking. But it is like a big party. I mean, there are DJs at different places, and it's the it's, it's a, Miami. It's it's it be is a spectacle. crazy, crazy event, and. It was just it, the, the merchandise tents. I mean, if you want to spend $90. People say, oh, buy me a hat. $90 for a hat. $90, <laughs> that's the cheapest hat you can buy is $90. The shirts are $110. Like you would look at these things like sweatshirts, $250. I mean, if people are buying them. That's they're crazy. holding these bags. I mean, it, it's crazy. And they have these things where you can try to see if you can put a, a pit crew. You can actually like be a pit crew and put tires on a car. And what I liked about it, though, is that people get there very early. I and mean, I showed up on Sunday at 12. The race is at 3.30. Packed. And guess what? When the race was over, about 6, 37. It's still packed in there with people. So it's really that, it's a festival type atmosphere, festival type event. It's, it's it. They had it last year, and it was a hot ticket, and it stayed it stayed hot this year. So I, I mean, it's coming back next year, of course. Great, and I think Miami. Well, I'm just. It's so impressive. I'm telling you, I don't care if you hate car racing. I hate if you hate cars. You should go there and have fun. And there's stuff for kids too. I mean, it's like one of those events where you can be, you can have go and party and DJ, and you can have. Kids. It's just fun for everybody to go there.
0: It reminds me of the Honda Classic, where we say you don't need to be a golf fan to come out and have a great time with your family at the Honda Classic. It's kind of that they're just taking that and blowing it up to Miami. People say, oh,
1: it's boring to watch all these cars go around. First of all, I don't find it boring because the race is only like an hour and a half long. But when you watch these cars and the speed, it's like spaceships. It's going to Star Wars and watching this <laughs> chainsaw. They, they are going so fast and they have this weird side. It's just the power and the speed is just amazing. I have no idea how these guys drive this. It is unbelievable to think that people can, can drive a car that fast because the the, the area is not that big. I mean, it's, it's
0: it's it's like two lanes of I-95. It's crazy. No, they, they definitely got some skill what they're doing. What happened in the race?
1: Well, Well, and the race was Max Verstappen was messed up in the qualifying. There was an accident. And so he was not able to get his qualifying, his fast qualifying. So he finished ninth. But that doesn't mean anything to him because when the race started, his teammate Sergio Perez from Red Bull team. And boy, if you need a Red Bull, everybody had Red Bull everywhere throughout the place The giving away free. So Max Verstappen goes and by the he started out in ninth place. But by the 15th lap, he's in second place. And then in lap 25, Perez pits. Now, Verstappen was one of the few drivers that started with hard drives. You have soft, hard medium and hard he started with hard tires so he starts with hard so he says I'm gonna stay out there Perez pits at the 20th lap Verstappen takes this lead and then he goes on and on and on, and he holds that lead and the lead is like 15 16 seconds and you're thinking well eventually Perez comes out so it's one two they're by far the two best cars but when they're saying when he pits he has to pit sometime he can't ride the whole race but he got to 47 there's only 57 laps at like 45 46 you're thinking wait is he gonna try to go this whole race on the same tires when the the tire company said they're gonna fall apart but he pits then at 46 laps Lap, and everyone's still saying, oh, I think Perez has this one. I'm like, no, because Perez is then it on 25. He has old tires and he's driving hard tires, Verstappen goes to the medium tires and then so he's coming out with fresher tires that were faster tires he comes out two seconds behind Perez and with one lap he passes Perez and he ends up winning the race and they go 1-2 and they were like so far ahead of everybody else I mean they, they were five seconds ahead but I couldn't believe how people around me were saying oh my god I think Perez is, I go there's no way he's going to have faster tires and they're fresher tires and he's going to win this race I, I saw Verstappen's car is unbelievable uh, Alonso from Aston Martin finished third George Russell Mercedes fourth Carlos Saiz was fifth I mean what's so great about about in uh, Hamilton finished six. He actually was happy with it because he started out 13th. But it was so neat. I just want to say before the race starts, they all come out on the on the the track and they have the cars with the computers all set up all these fans come out and they're walking around looking and that's where all the celebs come out so you're only like I'm like 10 feet from all the celebs and the car for Carlos Sage is right there then they suddenly clear everybody out so just the car the driver their staff and then they clear out and just the cars I mean this is so neat to be that close and then I messed up on my video though they start on TV the formation lap they go around one time they stop and then they go this is when it starts but it started so fast like they finished the formation lap and then boom and I just missed on my video the start Started that race and then they started. That's the one time that all the cars are bunched up together, and there was no caution the entire race. There was no like you watch NASCAR and all these other races. There's all these. There was no caution. There was no other thing. They ran the whole race. It was a clean race. I mean, I thought it was it was great. I mean, Verstappen and Perez are the Verstappen's won three times and, and second twice. Uh, one of the two is going to win the title of the show The two by far the fastest cars. But I loved it. Can't wait to go next year.
0: Ira on sports. True all these channels. Just about a minute till we get to Sonny Vaccaro. As Ira said, you can see his videos and pictures even if he misses the very beginning. At Ira on sports. <laughs> on social media. I missed it
1: by a second. I got four out of five
0: guys. I just missed the one thing, but go ahead. We'll be the judge of that at Ira on Sports. Let's go to the NHL, Ira, and we've seen some really good series so far with the exception of, uh, of, the, of the Panthers. So I had mentioned on this show, you're the biggest Connor McDavid fan and because he's the best player in hockey, but I mentioned like maybe a year ago, everyone, he gets all the credit. He's kind of the Sidney Crosby while there's Evgeny Malkin on the team. He's the Mario Lemieux with Jager. He's the guy who's the second fiddle. And he might be the second best player in the league. Leon Drysettle's blowing your socks off right now.
1: Amazing! They lost six to four, and he scored four goals. I mean, he was just scoring goals. It, and then the next game, they both—he and McDavid—both scored and tie at one-one. It's—it's—it it, is really uh, one of the things about these series is some of these goal scores. Like last night, the the Devils won eight-four. I mean, it's great. They lost five-one, six-one. And there's, I mean, there's this, the, the, you're not seeing a lot of the 1-0 games back and forth. But no, the Edmonton is exciting to watch. McDavid, Drysido, and they're just tremendous. And how they pass when you watch them on a power play—it's like Curry and Thompson. I yeah, mean, they, they are. just. They're cutting. They're moving. They just know. They showed. They showed this one thing where they scored on a power play where David goes around and then he tries a shot. It didn't work, and they realized that where well, the defense he just had to go a little bit more. And Drysdale had to move like one foot one way, one foot the other. They did the exact same play and worked perfectly and scored. Amazing the the, the connection between the two of them.
0: Yeah, and the fact that yeah, when they're on a power play and they get the, they, normally they don't play together. They play together on the power play. It's just something to watch. One thing you see when you watch the West, and I talked about this, all the best goalies are in the East. And that's why you're seeing some of these seven to two games that you'll see when you watch the Kraken, when you watch you know some of these uh, other teams. That's what we saw last night, Seattle and Dallas. Yeah, Dallas is a great team, let up four goals in three minutes. It just, it's just really tough to comprehend. But the story has to be the Florida Panthers now. Won six games in a row, three of them versus the best regular season team of all time, three of them against Toronto, and they're in the driver's seat to the Eastern Conference Finals. And this is exciting for us.
1: No, just tremendous. you, you Wondered about Carolina. Now, the Hurricanes won 5 1 and 6 1 over New Jersey the first two games. You're like, wow, maybe they're that dominant. And then they lose last night 8 4. But so you're thinking, wait, maybe Caroline is that good. You know, you're more of an expert than I am in terms of how. But it, it, at this point, really, it's just how you're playing in this time and just get, you know, it's again, just make the playoffs. Like the Pittsburgh Penguins did not make the playoffs this year. Yeah. If they would have made the playoffs, what would have happened? You just have to get in, figure out some way to get in, and then see what happens.
0: Especially in hockey. An eight seed is, is you know, easy to overcome and once you start playing well towards the end. UFC was big over this weekend. Um, excited for
1: that. Yeah, I watched it. First of all, the, the, the main event, I'll just go to, so just right. Sterling is the champion uh, and played against Cejudo and the Triple C, they call him it. And, and Cejudo was the bantamweight champion, a welterweight champion, Olympic champion, had everything, had not wrestled in th- uh, a UFC match in three years, comes back, and it was um, it was so close and it was a split decision and one of the, it could have gone either way and I couldn't believe the round, but it was like 48-47, 48-47, 47-48 and Sterling ends up winning and it had to be one of the closest, like you just could not tell, but it was a close one with tons of action. Each round was close, Uh very good, but Sterling is now the one away champion and boy, he he is not, it was in Prudential Center and the fans are booing him and he's yelling at <laughs> <laughs> it's just not a fan favorite at all. But it was uh it was because he won the title over Peter Yawn on a disqualification. You hate when someone wins a title on a disqualification, which was like a that so but that was so he's never had the love affair with the fans like some of these other UFC fighters. But it was that yeah, was just a great fight. Let's go to Sonny Vicaro, Iron Sports. We're so pleased to have now Sonny Vicaro is from Pittsburgh and one of the most famous people from Pittsburgh is Bruno San Martino and his nickname is the living legend. But I really think Sonny, you are are the living legends? So can I just take that nickname and use it for a second? Because I'm so pleased to have you on Iron Sports today.
2: Well, trying to be modest, young man, but you can use it. <laughs> Go, <ahead. laughs> Go for it.
1: Well, you mentioned Sunny in a, in a in a documentary. It talks about. Uh, you said you wish you were on Mount Rushmore, and, and you said if you would assign LeBron James to Adidas, you'd be on it. I, I, I think if there's a Mount Rushmore of non uh, players who play, you know, in terms of no Michael Jordan's, Kobe but talk about executives and coaches, you got John Na- Naismith who started the game, then you, and then maybe we start maybe David Stern or something like that. But that, you are on Mount Rushmore. It's hard to, you're probably you know, second after Naismith on that round.
2: Well, you're being uh, nice, and you're a Pennsylvanian, and and I appreciate what you're saying. But wh- what we do in real life is accept what real life presents to us. I'm not on there. I'm still living, and <laughs> whatever, whatever happens, uh, happens. But I'm very pleased to where I am personally, and that God gave me 83 years to live, and to talk, you know, about the game of basketball, which basically was my life, and uh, and it gave me a head start. So I appreciate the saying
1: how does um, a football player from Trafford uh, outside Pittsburgh High School goes to Youngstown State start the number one high school basketball tournament in all of the country in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania
2: by accident (laughs) there's no uh, there's no way you can uh, you know categorize my life mostly everything in my life since the beginning uh, you know I was born in 39 so I was a a child of the World War, you know, and all my family was in that thing, although I have no idea. I was only, you know, born then. But I, I came through as an immigrant family like most of us in Western Pennsylvania and a lot all over America at that time. But what happened to me happened, you know, I was never supposed to go to college. I was never supposed to do all these things and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, I did a lot of things. And it happened by happenstance. You know, I didn't, you know, I can't explain it to the world, but every every chore, every game, everything I ever did, I didn't think I was going to do until I did it. I hope that explains a little bit. But that's who I am. My mind, I'm wired differently. I always have been. I've sort of been an independent cuss with uh, with a lot of ideas in my head. And going to Youngstown State, I was supposed to play football. I never did. The basketball coach was an assistant football coach who had a liking for me. And how he ever did, is, I was only there for a month before preseason, he asked me if I can help them, get them basketball players from the Pittsburgh area to go to Youngstown State, which was pretty good in Division Two at that time in the late 50s, and, uh, and then keep me on scholarship. I was the worst player on my basketball <laughs> team in a Class B school, so now you know, going to a great school, you know, won state championships in the highest caliber ratings in Pennsylvania at the time. You know, it was a non-entity, but there was something about my personality. i go to Youngstown. I start getting involved with kids from the Pittsburgh area, coaching them, playing at what would be a precursor to what the AAUs are today. You know, they were just local kids from 15 miles away from Trafford that I started with, taking them to in-house tournaments, and that's what they were called. They were ones like at the at the Braddock Y, the Jewish Y, uh, you know, those kind of things. Somebody's high school gym, Salvation Army, and then I take the kids. Braddock Piton Ra you know just uh, seriously within 25 miles of my hometown because basketball was a key sport in western Pennsylvania in the late early 60s that was uh, you know winning the WPIO or state championship was just as big as winning football in fact even more famous because we actually acknowledged that we were going to have a WPIO channel we never had that in football we, we used until the big East or the, uh, the, the big 33 game football, Although it was a preeminent sport, you know, there was no question about it. Every great university in America had a great kid from Pennsylvania on their football team. There's no question about that. And basketball was few, and, you know, most of the kids went to, you know, colleges. What I want to tell the public is I was pretty successful with these kids, that I was only three or four years older than.
1: Right, exactly. now, and, they, and I think just to, to jump on that point, I'm from Altoona, Pennsylvania. We've, I've got introduced to you from Mike Izzalino, who we've had on this show, who's the coach of Robert Morris, who was a, a, played in the NBA, played in Italy. Um, and, but people think about Indiana basketball, you know, the great tradition. But the tradition in Western Pennsylvania basketball and, and Philadelphia basketball, all throughout Pennsylvania, is tremendous. So you really were in the hotbed in the 60s and 70s in basketball, which is Pennsylvania, sort of underlooked, you know, in, in time. Well, in time,
2: in history, and still yet till today, I mean, it's gone down a little bit. But my point is, when you said Indiana and the Hoosiers and all the movies and all that stuff, you have to understand one thing here, okay? From Let's just go from Chicago West. The California kids weren't even existent then. It was all football, and all the football players used to go to junior college, you know, out there, because we didn't have media like we have today. The Dapper Down was the first game to do that. But to go to your your question... We know about Indiana. They, they, they were smaller than Western Pennsylvania, the state. I mean, there weren't that I many. But you have history because that was history. It wasn't football or baseball. Baseball was the second most popular football. We had as many kids in, in major leagues or in the minor leagues, which was a great job at that time. Because that's why I thought someday I'd play it. Be honest with you. But Indiana, the Hoosiers, all that—they were—they were things indigenous to their town, to their, and everybody knew about the Hoosiers. Everybody watched those films. Everybody knew about Christmas Posonics. No one knew about Pennsylvania until Dapper Dam. So what we have here is once the, I got involved in these small tournaments, got involved, and then my, my best friend at that time, Pat DeCesar and I started the Dapper Dam Round Classic, then the game was over because the Round ball Classic opened the doors to what Pennsylvania was in all sports. That's because we were 13 years ahead of the McDonald's All-Star Game. You probably probably has no idea what I'm talking about. Ladies and gentlemen, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Dead Brown Ball Classic, greatest game in Civic Arena, unbeknownst to the world other than, than the local teams, 13 years ahead of McDonald's. So I say to you, the talent was always there. And I say it's because we say the water we drank in western Pennsylvania because kids from not only western Pennsylvania because you mentioned Philadelphia but you mentioned Philadelphia in a different way than you said Pittsburgh Philadelphia wasn't flag like football in Pittsburgh Philadelphia was basketball the big five no football schools were winning national championships in the big five you know pick Penn State and then you go across the river and got a higher state I mean, you, you, football was preeminent West Virginia but they were all playing for whatever they were at that time but it was always basketball, the Sunny Hill League in Philadelphia. Sonny was one of the originators of you know youth basketball. But they were they were in a twenty-five or a fifty-mile radius. So when you went out to Allentown or Altoona and Johnstown and those things, that was outreach. But in nineteen sixty-five, it was Pittsburgh. So so all the, I, I I won't be forgiven for this because you're going to tell me about the movies. But Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Eastern. United States was the birth of basketball because if you go to New York again, you don't get football. You get, you know, this park, that park, everybody was at some park playing basketball, you know, under the damn trees and a goalpost, uh, uh, a telephone pole, or they build a a slab with concrete on it. The kids played in, you know, the, the, the parks, but basketball was the easiest sport to play because you can, Go inside in the winter, go outside in the summer. You only took five guys and that was the that was the real birth. but they will never be recognized and you know the people will think you're crazy. <laughs> they can't rewrite history, Ira. That's where it started. So go ahead, take me somewhere else because I'm, I'm enjoying this and I don't want you to run out of time. We're, I we have, no,
1: I, it's my show. We can, we have as much time as I as I, as I want. But the, uh, and, and as much as Vick is your stories and there's nothing we can be talking about more important than talking to you. Um, I love this story though, that you're at Penn Trafford, which Trafford high school, it's Penn Trafford. Now you're yes. running the Dapper and round trail classic. You're having college coaches come around the country to see these high school kids. Nobody else is doing that. And then you came up with the idea of making tennis shoes. Where did this come idea to have tennis shoes? And I know that there's a lot of manufacturing areas in that area of Trafford. So you probably went and met people about how to make a better shoe.
2: Yeah. You know, that's even more illogical, the shoe than the ball because I only made the shoe because I started a camp at Seven Springs. Uh, once I started ball, about two years later, I decided to uh, uh, open a, a basketball camp, like all the coaches, make a couple bucks in the summertime. And I went to Seven Springs, my Resort. I was a ski resort. You should remember that one of the one of the best in the country, still. Yeah, they only used it in the wintertime. And I had a lawyer friend named Jimmy Morocco uh, from Trafford, who knew people. I said, "I'm going to I'm going to start a camp." I'm going to make a couple of bucks. So we went there, and Jimmy negotiated a price. So we used the Seven Springs Mountain Resort for skiing in the winter to make Sonny Vaccaro's Big Ten Camp in basketball. Well, that's that's where the shoot came in. So about 68, 69, 70, I don't know when, the kids were coming to the camp. And one day, swear to God, I just said this story a thousand times, a young man comes up to me. We're walking up from the hill where the courts were. Do have lunch in the, you know, where the heck we ate, you know, lunch at those times in, the, in one of the rooms? And uh, he said, Mr. Carroll, Mr. Guy I said, yeah, I'll call him Charlie because I have no idea what his name was. And I said, I'd like to talk to you. And I said, yeah, Charlie, what would you like to say? And ladies and gentlemen, this is a fact. He said to me, Mr. Carroll, could you, you know, because he thought I knew everything. We were, you know, I was running a camp. I was, you know, somebody important to him, I guess. He said, do you think we can make a tennis shoe that we could wear everywhere? Because these tennis shoes, because in those days, he was poor. In those days, and I can attest to that, a kid wears tennis shoes to church, to school, to the dance. A tennis shoe was the everyday thing until there was a term in Western Pennsylvania called clodhoppers. Clodhoppers are the ones with the big up-to-your-ankle thing, and they were made of leather and heavy as hell that you wore in the wintertime. And if you were poor, you wore a tennis shoe or a clodhopper most of the year in Western Pennsylvania. He says that to me and I say, you know, Charlie, I call him Charlie. I, I wasn't a there. I just made it up because I was going along in my life. And um, I say, I'll show you, a few years pass. Nike comes in my mind as a new company. And I thought of this idea because I was then working for the ABA and recommending college players to go right to the ABA from high school or college. Today, had no age limit. You know, that was, the NBA wasn't letting kids in until they graduated. And, um, so I, I was hired by the ABA in the, in the 1970s to introduce them to players who played in my round ball, who became big stars in the, in the uh, college world to sign a contract with the ABA. And I wasn't an agent. My deal was, I believe to this day, it was, it was a lot of money. So I might've been 50, I don't know, but they paid me. I, I keep thinking 3000 for some reason. They had a lot of money in the 1970s you know, for sure. Um, for every player I introduced them to, I wasn't the agent. And I introduced them to players and if they signed to the ABA, I'd make my, my money. You know, that's that's what it was. So I was then really involved. I mean I had the ABA guys, I represented George Gerber's contract, you know, on my own eventually. And so I, I'm hustling. So this company opens up, a friend of mine call, you know, tells me there's a new company, blah blah blah. But the most important thing he said, I, I remember Charlie. I said, Jerry, you know, um, you know, can you introduce me to these people? I got an idea about a shoe. He did. Because he had a great player, you know, that you know was signed by Nike at that time, and um, and I, I go out to Nike. I pay the you know, the $135, one hundred thirty-five dollar one way. I don't know what it was, but one hundred thirty-five dollar ticket I wanted to go meet them in Oregon to talk about my new set of shoes, not the ones I'm designing, that my. Um my buddy in Trafford, Bobby Giminaldo, the son of a uh, son, of a son, shoemaker from Italy. And Bobby designs me nine shoes to take to Nike. I put them in a burlap sack, the old potato sack. That's what they called them in the 1970s. Or, yeah, 70s. And I take them to Nike and I show them these shoes. They looked at all my shoes. And did they you
1: won. did you talk to Phil Knight? Did you meet Phil Knight when I, you went there? I
2: met Phil, I met Phil Knight and Rob Strasser That's how my life started. I didn't, know, I didn't know any of them. I never met them before. I was introduced by. But they, were, but
1: they were a running shoe company at that time. They were only that's, almost running shoes.
2: See, the whole point of this story I'm telling you now, Mr. Ira, is this. They had no idea what the hell basketball was. They had <laughs> one basketball team. <laughs> one basketball team, the University of Oregon, they gave them, because that's because Phil was a heck of a runner there. And, that, and his, his boss helped him create Blue Ribbon Sports. You know, that story. They didn't take my shoes. But they they wanted to get involved with me. I go back for the second meeting. They invite me on, blah, blah, blah. And they said, how do we get involved? They asked me a question. How do we get involved with getting basketball uh, uh, shoes on on our players? And I said, for history, no one wants to – well, you have to believe it is the truth. Uh, I said, pay the coaches. And that came out of my mouth, just like I said, pay Jordan, you know, eight years later. But my point to you is, they should pay the coaches you know, Phil Knight has a heart attack, Rob was ready to die. I said, well, you pay the coaches, they'll get the shoes, you give them all free coaches, give them the shoes for the whole team, give them sweatsuits and give them T-shirts for their camps, and the players
1: will wear the shoes. And I just want to jump in, in and in, in this, those times, schools, the top basketball schools actually bought their own shoes. Like, they paid for shoes, they paid for shirts, they paid for everything. That was stuffing, like, out of their budget that they had to buy for all these things.
2: And that's why, that's why this honorable Corporation called the N Subway, they closed their eyes. That's why they could have said a long time ago, can't do it. But they didn't. Why? Because Sonny said to Pill and Rob, give them the shoes for nothing. <laughs> what? Then I said, pay them. What? It's, we're in debt before we sell a shoe. I said, you are, but you are not selling any shoes now. My point. Do you understand what I just said you are? Yes. Do you understand? Public. They, they sold no shoes, so they listened to me. And we got the kids, you know, the only thing I'm mad about 100 years later, but we finally got it done with Oban. is the sense that I said, pay the kids, you know, the kids will wear the shoes. So that was always in my mind. That was the story of Sonny Vaccaro and Nike. Rob comes, he flies to Pittsburgh. It's now 1977. Eugene Banks, okay, Albert King, you know, Wayne McCoy, all these great, great players. We were playing at Dapper Dam. By well, then, they were in a large arena, 17,900 people or something like that. They enlarged it. That's one with the roof on top of all that stuff. Rob Trashley comes to that game. You see 17,000 people. She sees over 200 college coaches and assistant coaches in Pittsburgh for the whole four days. He gets back out. That's when they hired me <laughs> to put the shoes on the high school kids. That's how I got you from the shoemaker. Oh, by the way, they never gave me my shoes back. Some of them had Velcro. Some of them were white. Some of them, we called, we had air holes in them, but they weren't like Air Jordan, with foam on the bottom. He he cut holes in the sides of the shoe so air would go through the the, the, uh, the leather. So that would be that was and no toads in a bicycle shoe. Seriously, all that. <laughs>
1: And so explain, but the scene though, people understand that the civic arena is a weird arena. They actually had, it was, it's demolished now. That's where the, yeah. the penguins play at their new, the new place. But um, the, the roof opened up. There's no arena I can think of in the in the world that has an indoor arena where the roof opens up. If you saw so the movie, the fish that Saved Pittsburgh that was in that. But then every college coach was there. Every high school player was there. It was the center of the universe for all of basketball, which was there in Pittsburgh for what the event you were putting on.
2: Thirteen years before McDonald's, at the year we played 77, they still are calling it the Capital Classic in Baltimore, just so they understand, because you've got, you got a lot of import Easterners down there from New York and Pennsylvania and Florida, just so they understand. <laughs> Thirteen years before, Dapper Dan, Sonny Vacaro Pat DeCesar, all the kids from Pennsylvania. We were as good as anybody. That was always my idea. Only they only centralized their eyes on football, and baseball at that time, as I I said before, that baseball was really the second most popular sport because we had a lot of guys go to the minor leagues and all that, that's where I thought I'd be someday. I hoped I'd be a minor league player for the Pirates or some (laughs) damn thing, but anyway, that's how it's all started.
1: So we jump jump from there, we jump from there, and now, the movie out that we can I went to on Sunday morning to see for the it was absolutely amazing. I'm not a big fan of sports movies, but Air I was crying in it. It was great. It was tremendous. I they found this actor Matt Damon, and I, do you think Matt Damon? I mean, in terms of I know you were a very good looking gentleman back in those days. Do you think he does justice though? I mean, of uh, you in this movie, but uh, because uh, you know I people you know seem to like Matt Damon a lot. No,
2: I am I am enthralled. I am indebted to Matt. I will go into history, look like Matt, but remember, by son, but remember that I'm Sonny Vaccaro. So that's going to be a lot better when I'm gone by 99 more years, because Matt did a great job of what he's supposed to be doing. Okay. Acting. So a lot of the scenes in there, well, not a lot, but you know, the scenes I am in with Matt, I made a lot of speeches. That last scene you're maybe talking about, you know, well, I did start, I, I love to talk. I've talked to over 50 universities and colleges over these years and I, my camp every year, I'd give the Sunny speech. I'm pretty good at that, but it usually takes me an hour. Like I am with your
1: show, you're gonna to have to edit half of this. <laughs> I'm not editing it. We're gonna break it up into two. Okay. Don't worry. Okay. okay. But my point there is when when Matt when Matt eloquates
2: Sonny Ricardo's voice, damn, that'll be like Friends, Romans, and Countrymen. lend me your ear. That'll be like a State of the Union speech. He's when he does the speech from the video. To his mind of why we signed Michael, that that happened in my mind. He they thought of the, the, the the that scene is unbelievable to film it spills out exactly what was in my mind two years earlier than as a, at the Georgetown North Carolina game. But the speech at the end when we you're selling the thing to, to Phil Knight to make sure he signs the last damn deal with with Dolores, and you know so yes I am forever grateful to Matt Damon Ben Affleck and. And the other nine people in the, the movie, and, and again Viola Davis, and the, uh, the scene with David Falk and all your guys you know and how David is, those are memorable. I mean, they they are they're really all right. So yes, I'm glad that Matt's going to be up there for a thousand years, and and somebody might watch it.
1: So people don't when they see the movie, the the scene they're talking about, the scene he, one of the scenes he's talking about is at the end of the the movie when he's trying to do the final pitch to Michael. They had a video montage up. He turned it off. And then he just starts to talk and and says, just what he's going to be. And he goes, and so they showed the videos of Michael's life. And you don't see Michael at all, just Sonny, which is Matt Damon, talking. And it's so powerful. And then the last line was like, a thousand years from now, people will not remember anyone else in this room, but they're going to remember you. And I thought it was so funny when Ben Affleck at the end said, they might remember, as Phil Knight said, I, hope, I think they're going to remember me too. I think I'll be remembered. But it was so powerful. I was bawling watching that. It was amazing. Tremendous. And you know what? That,
2: those words, not exactly like Matt said, just like... Uh, Vi- Viola doing Mrs. Jordan. Mrs. Jordan made a speech that day. She was there basically to verify that Nike wasn't going to cheat her on the contract. That was because we were giving her a percentage. She had known that, but she was emphasizing it. We're not signing this damn thing. But they got out there. I sort of knew, even from the flow of the movie, all, like I said, some was improvised and all that. She she was coming to sign it. She just didn't want to be you know messed with, basically. But when Viola ends up, you know, given the last thing, and I don't want to go over on, on your radio show, it's, it's it's one of the great scenes, in, you know, in a lot of movies. I mean, well, obviously, these people are brilliant, but but Ben actually nailed Phil Knight and Chris Messina nailed David Falk. You you probably should know that one time David Falk was the biggest agent in the world and the biggest right, right. in the world, and. Uh, you know, and he had Michael Jordan. I mean, so he had this gold mine, right? It's like we in out in the movie shows, but the, the, you know, there, there's a liberty. It's a, it's a movie; it's not a documentary. But you know, the movie it tells you it took three and a half months. There was you know, all, there were five meetings. I'm the only one in Nike in all five meetings with the people there. I mean, all, all this things going to prove one thing that Michael was hard to get. And I never saw him again until after the turning around. I didn't see Michael into Oregon either. I met the other people along the line. You know, I met – when I called Mrs. Jordan, I, there was only conversations with Mrs. Jordan, you know, to make sure that we hooked up. And
1: so all these things did happen in that order but talk about how talk about how difficult it was you you worked at Nike um, he played at, at North Carolina wearing Converse shoes and he wanted to, liked Adidas because he liked the track suits that Adidas had and he hardly would even take a meeting with you and you're like the first the first thing you had to do in the show in the movie and whatever is to convince the people at Nike that we have to go after Jordan we're not going to just throw we have 250,000 we're not going to throw 50,000 here 50,000 here 50,000 here we're going to spend it all on one player you had to convince them on that, and that's the the whole speech. So, talk about a little about how you convinced everybody at at, at Nike and schooling Phil Knight that we're going to put everything, all our eggs in one basket. Ira,
2: that's the story of the Jordan story. If it doesn't get past that meeting, I was only invited to that meeting. I never was involved. Now, by then, I had seven years of the shoes on the college teams. We had then, we were then going on our third national championship with, you know, with, with Georgetown, with Villanova, with Jimmy Belvano at, uh, at North Carolina State, right? We had 80 schools in our shoe. We were the, we made our money on the college program. Like if you were to Syracuse, you had orange, you, had, you know, Georgetown, you had blue, whatever. We had colors match the uniforms. We were successful. I was invited. I didn't know that they were on the ropes. I had no idea. Rob invited me to Oregon for a day to go over a new thing. I had no idea until we were getting there, so it's a day ahead of time I get in early like I always do when you go to this morning. thing. And what he's going to do, he invited five people to this meeting, plus him and some other people, obviously, but five people are going to have, like, both. Phil and he said, we're going busted. They were dropping pros. They were trying to sell the contracts by the athletes who they had pros, they had a lot of pros didn't even play that they were giving money. The most money they ever gave anybody was $100,000, and that was Moses and somebody else. Yet most of the guys got $50,000, and some of them didn't even wear the damn shoe. I mean, <laughs> this is what it was. So they were going to cut back, and they had $500,000 total in their basketball budget. So they asked the five of us, the other people knew what it was about. I had no idea. And they put the list of the draft that year. That was one of the great drafts of all time. With you know, Elijah, Juan, Stockton, Jordan, you know, Charles. I mean, I mean, you know, almost everybody played in the NBA got drafted. So it was a great draft. The only time here's the key to the whole sequence. The only time I ever saw like he did not play in the Dapper Dan Roundball Classic. I didn't pick him. He wasn't the best high school player in America at that time. That's all bullshit. Okay. George or uh, North Carolina actually picked the guy before, and it's in the movie. Before they picked him, and he transferred because we saw it. Whatever this guy transferred, that's in the movie. Okay, and I never met Dean Smith in my life. They wore Converse. I was there to watch Georgetown play North Carolina. John, the Hoyas were. John was one of my best friends. The Hoyos were one of our best schools, obviously, for selling shoes. Patrick Ewing and three other guys in that team played in the Dapper Dan Ron Ball Classic. And I knew Patrick personally because of that through his whole career at Georgetown. And and I knew all the kids. So I didn't give a damn about Michael Jordan. The game's over. In my mind, in my mind, Ira, I never forgot that shot. But I'll, I'll bet you a dime to a donut. I never thought about or brought out Michael Jordan for the next few years in my life, and I certainly never met him. So now, we're at that meeting. It's my turn. Only God knows, because I can't explain it. But I had somebody who was a little more educated than I did try to explain it. I asked, him one, I asked this person one time, what is it in your... And I asked only after this, I was involved with this movie. I had to figure out a damn answer. Why? I said, what is it when you remember something that you completely forgot, and then all of a sudden you remember it? And this person... Un- Undoctorally, I said. Well, Sonny, it's not hard. You go through life, and you know, it's like when you're a young person. You take pictures of your baby pictures and all that. And you certainly don't remember that cause you're too young. Then you go to a class reunion or whatever, and you see a bunch of guys. Now you don't see him for thirty years. You don't see him for a month. And then all of a sudden, you see, oh my God, that's Jimmy. You know, huh? you know, you, fly, you forget about him. You don't bring Jimmy up again. What's the point, you tell me? Well, that's why I did with Jordan. So it's now two years later, a little more than two years. Okay, the, the game was played. We're talking about 84 now. And Strasser asked me that question. And by my quote, it's been in every paper in the world, so I didn't lie, I didn't make it up on the spot. How the hell could I make it up? I said, give it to the kid. I said, and they said a natural thing. What kid? Well, the kid from New North Carolina. Jordan. I didn't even say Jordan. I only subconsciously remembered why why, ladies and gentlemen, listen? Jordan was 18 years old when he took that damn shot. He took that shot. He beat Georgetown. We lost. He won. He you know, Worthy was supposed to take that shot. Perkins was supposed to take that shot. No, they had four guys that played in the NBA. And, 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 and Worthy did all that. He, he was the most illogical. No, when Damon does the – now, I didn't – I that that's his feel. that But subconsciously, I never forgot about him. They all argued with me. The other people all there said, you got to give it to two. Maybe let's just blimp. And then I said, because asked me that question after they rebutted it. But just they, to, you know,
1: just to add, the point is that in those times, in in, in 84, Michael Jordan was not the goat that we see. think of him right now. I, I, he, is, he was not in the Tom Brady last pick in the seventh round category, those type of things, but he was not viewed as can't miss. It, it, again, he went third in the draft. If, he, if everybody knew it was Michael Jordan, he would have gone first in the draft. So the point is that it was a. It was an issue whether know, how, you know, there was a question whether Jordan was going to be a good pro or not. Well, there was a big question, and in fact, there was a lot of different opinions.
2: My point to you is, yeah, and I wasn't like, you know, I had no idea because I had no idea that I had this eye or whatever for for talent. I, I mean, but I when I you know I said before like picking high school kids, I, I just knew something about them, seeing whatever. But that's before that's before Kobe and Tracy and Jermaine and LeBron, where it became there's something inside of me that does that. I only remembered the damn shot. He beat Georgetown in my psychological mind. This isn't Sonny, a doctor talking to your audience. This is Sonny, the person trying to learn about Sonny, the person. The guy says to me, it was so deeply rooted in you in my mind, I never forgot it. And I just thought, that time in person, how the hell did this kid have enough guts to do it? And if you go through my life, and you go through these other kids that I talked about later in my life, it rang true to picking kids for the upper dam, the first five, six, seven, eight years, I didn't really see all those kids. I saw the Western Pennsylvania kids. I'd make a trip to Philadelphia. I, you know, I could, if I could drive to the St. Rita's up in uh, uh, up in Detroit, not Rita's, or uh, whatever it was, or down to the Dust Bowl in the, in the Louisville. I'd do that later on. The first couple of years, I was on the phone or picking up Parade magazine. So going to Jordan. Here is what they said to me: and one guy named Howard Slasher Who's was a big name. He worked for Nike and he was a big agent. I never understood that. Uh, but that's, that's still, that was Phil thing. But anyway, he says to me, and he certainly had a lot more clout than I did. He said, Sonny, what happens if the kid gets hurt? And I said to him, documented, I said, what difference does it make if these three guys you're going to give the money to don't move the needle? I said that, something like that. The point I was making was they had good basketball players wearing the shoe. Moses Malone's one of the greatest players ever to play. You know, George Girl was one of the greatest players. They had guys wearing Nike. Just
0: no one was paying attention to them. You understand what I'm saying, Ira? Yes, 100. All All right, Ira. So, what is your plans for this week? Obviously, you're going to be you're at the Heat game right now. What's going on the rest Heat of the week? game
1: now? Uh, Wednesday, I'll be in New York for the Knicks and Heat. So that that'll be the clincher. If not, I'll be back on Friday, and I'll watch the Heat and the Knicks again on in Friday at Kinsella Center. So it's going to be Heat all weekend. We'll see. I don't I don't think I'll make uh, Mother's Day on Sunday. I don't think there'll be a game seven. So I'm not even going to think about a game seven. In terms of what's going to happen, and there's no way to do the Panthers because the the series now are they are on the same day, mm-hmm. so that you can't do the both the Panthers and the Heat at the same
0: time. Well, if the Panthers make the Stanley Cup, we got to make a, a concession and get yes, it. <laughs> we'll figure out some way.
1: You know, the next series, hopefully there'll be some some way. But no, I'm excited. I love it. I sat in a great seat for the Heat game last uh, two days ago or three days ago, whatever, and it was great. It was, and uh, like it had perfect pictures. And I'm sitting exact I got the same seat online for this game, so
0: I'm pretty pumped. Thank you so much to Sonny Vakarev for stopping by. He's Ira. i Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, IRON Sports.